Good morning, clerks. Welcome back to another episode of The Clerk Commute. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Clerk Commute for Surgery. My name is Lauren, and this is my co-host, Brendan. Hey, guys. Today, we're going to walk you through one of the cases I had when I was on call for my general surgery rotation during clerkship. This episode was edited by Alana Hossein, a staff breast oncology surgeon and general surgeon at Trillium Health. All right, call, general surgery call. How exciting. Okay, let's dive right in. So, Brendan, tell us what this case was. Right. So, it was a Sunday morning, and I got a text from my staff to go see a query appendicitis patient. Did you know that acute appendicitis is the most common abdominal surgery emergency in the world, with a lifetime risk of 8.6% in males and 6.9% in females? Lauren, tell me what you think about when you hear appendicitis. Well, I guess when I think appendicitis, I think of the stereotype appendicitis as a young patient presenting with a few days of history of like midline periumbilical abdominal discomfort or pain that then moves to the right lower quadrant. Depending on the severity, they might have some fever, nausea, vomiting, and maybe constipation or diarrhea. What are you thinking? Well, that, that sounds pretty good. That is definitely our stereotypical appendicitis patient. So on history, you kind of want to ask about the OPQRST for the abdominal pain and get a history about when it started and when it moved over to the right lower quadrant. Do you know why the pain shifts and changes in quality? Yeah, so the shift in this pain demonstrates the two different types of abdominal pain that we see, visceral pain versus peritoneal pain. In in the abdomen, the parietal peritoneum lines the internal surface of the abdominal pelvic wall and has a somatic nerve supply. On the other hand, the visceral peritoneum covers the abdominal viscera and has an autonomic nerve supply. When appendicitis first starts, the appendix is inflamed, and given the autonomic nature of the nerve supply, the pain is poorly localized, often periumbilical, and it's dull and vague. As appendicitis progresses, the appendix actually irritates irritates the nearby parietal peritoneum. Now, all of a sudden, you can localize the pain to the right lower quadrant, and it is sharp in nature. Yes. Exactly. Now, knowing this, why don't you also tell me a bit about what you generally expect from physical exam? Great. So first, you're going to start with general inspection and vitals. A patient with a perforated appendicitis can appear very sick. A reminder to our listeners that if you're ever worried about a patient, go talk to your resident or staff as soon as possible. Don't wait for your history and physical exam to be done. In terms of vitals, an appendicitis patient might be febrile and maybe tachycardic. Another thing to pay attention to is how still the patient is. Different from abdominal pain, for example, in a kidney stone, pain in appendicitis can cause a peritoninic abdomen. People with peritonitis are typically very still because movement causes them to be in pain. If someone, for example, has a kidney stone, they might be writhing in pain or moving around to try and get the pain to stop. Okay, next we want to do an abdominal exam and special tests related to appendicitis. So, On abdominal exam, we want to start again with general inspection. Next, I'd like to look at the patient and ask them to point with one finger to where the pain is the worst. Classic appendicitis pain is at something called McBurney's point. This is one third of the way from the asis to the umbilicus in the right lower quadrant. Pay close attention. This will therefore be closer to the asis than the umbilicus. Next, we're going to move to palpate the abdomen. Whenever someone has, has a painful abdomen, you want to start palpating in quadrants with their, where there are no pain. 
You will also want to assess for peritonitis. This is characterized by rebound tenderness and involuntary guarding. In children, you can do the jump test. This means that if they can still jump, they are unlikely to have peritonitis and are therefore unlikely to have appendicitis. In adults, you can jolt the bed with your hip to see if the movement causes pain. Brendan, do you mind going over the special tests in appendicitis? Sure. So there's a total of three tests for appendicitis that I learned. The first is the Robson sign. The second is the obturator sign. And last, we have the psoas sign. Basically, all three signs are considered positive if your manipulation results in right lower quadrant pain, but they are different in the maneuver you will do. For a Robson sign, you will palpate the left lower quadrant and see if there is pain in the right lower quadrant after you palpate the left quadrant. For the obturator sign, you will flex the patient's right leg and internally rotate their right thigh. And again, you look for right lower quadrant pain. A clinical pearl is that if the obturator sign is positive, the appendix is more likely to be pointed towards the pelvis. For psoas, you will ask the patient to lie on their left side in the left lateral decubitus position and then extend their right hip. Again, we're looking for right lower quadrant pain when you extend the hip. A pearl here is that the psoas sign is more likely to be positive if the appendix is retrocecal. Exactly. Okay, now that we know what to do, shall we go see your patient? Sounds good to me. All right, our patient is a 26-year-old female lying on a bed in the ER. She looks well. On chart review, I found that her vitals were all within normal range and she was not febrile. She was very pleasant and cooperative and told me she's had a one-day history of dull abdominal pain localized to her right lower quadrant. There is no radiation in the pain. The severity is about a 4 or 5 out of 10. She tells me that the pain started last night after dinner and that she's never had this kind of pain before. She denies any nausea or vomiting, but she does endorse some decreased appetite this morning. She's never had an appendectomy before. Good point. Whenever you have a query appendicitis patient, or even just a patient presenting with abdominal pain, always ask whether they still have their appendix. I've definitely heard of stories where they diagnose appendicitis only to find out that the patient already had an appendectomy 10 years ago. <laughs> yes, that is definitely a good thing to point out. All right, so what do you think of our patient's presentation? Hmm, well, it's definitely sounding like appendicitis to me. Appendicitis can also be associated with fever, nausea, and vomiting. As you'll learn, sometimes appendicitis doesn't quite present like a textbook in real life. That's what I thought as well. All right, let me give you the physical exam finding. We already mentioned that the patient appeared well with no acute signs of distress, and she was not febrile or diaphoretic. On abdominal exam, I heard normal bowel signs, and the abdomen was resonant to percussion. On palpation, the abdomen was soft, tender, tender diffusely in the right quadrant and somewhat tender at McBurney's point. Robsting's obturator and psoas were all negative. There was no guarding or rebound tenderness. As well, Murphy's sign was negative. Knowing these, what are you thinking now, Lauren? Hmm. Well, I suppose this isn't my textbook appendicitis exam anymore. This is a great reminder to keep lots of diagnoses on the differential, including general surgery and non-general surgery concerns. I like to organize my differential diagnosis for abdominal pain by location and by system. In this case, my differential includes GI causes, including gallstones, diverticulitis, 
gynae causes like ovarian torsion, a ruptured cyst or ectopic pregnancy, and nephro causes like a kidney stone. Okay, great. Thanks for dividing up that approach a little bit. I always find it helpful to review these things. But going back to our case, I was thinking very similarly to you. Appendicitis was still high on my list, but there were definitely quite a few more options. The good thing about doing a consult in the ER is that a lot of the investigations have been done already. So let's take a further look at her chart and see if there's anything that can help us. Is there anything in particular you would want to know, Lauren? Well, I guess considering she's a 26-year-old female, I would like to know what her beta-HCG is. Good call. Another thing to remember, always test for beta-HCG in born female patients of reproductive age. Specifically, we would like to acknowledge that beta-HCG is also needed in transgender males who are prehysterectomy and not needed in transgender females. In this case, the patient's beta-HCG was negative. What else would you like to know, Lauren? Um, okay, so I'll give you my list for the investigations. I would like to know the CBC, and I, I'm going to take special attention to her white count to assess the likelihood of inflammation, which would be irrelevant to appendicitis, diverticulitis, or pyelonephritis. I would also like to know her liver panel, which are the ALT, ALP, AST, and GGT, and I'd also like to see Billy to see if there are any problems with the liver or bile flow. Finally, pancreatitis can cause pain in all the quadrants, so I would add a lipase. All right, so here we have it. CBC was within normal ranges, and notably, the white count is not elevated. Liver panel and lipases are normal as well. What kind of imaging would you consider in this patient? Okay, well, this is kind of a trick question, so listen up to our listeners. The first clinical pearl about imaging is that imaging is not necessary to diagnose appendicitis, as you can diagnose appendicitis clinically. That being said, there is some diagnostic uncertainty in this case, and imaging is definitely indicated. Okay, next, let's talk about our goal for imaging. The first thing that we want to do is diagnose appendicitis, but the other thing we can use imaging to do is rule out mimickers. Keeping these two things in mind, we can talk about which option would be best. Ultrasound is a great first-line investigation for appendicitis. This is especially true in women or transgender men like our patient, so we can rule out a gynecologic cause of abdominal pain. Ultrasound is quick, does not involve radiation, and is cost-effective. Signs of appendicitis on ultrasound include free fluid surrounding the appendix, non-compressibility of the appendix, visualization of an appendicolith, an obstruction for outflow of the appendix, and a diameter of the appendix greater than six millimeters. Great. And CT, on the other hand, has the highest diagnostic accuracy. CT is most useful in people with larger BMI, where ultrasound can be difficult, and it is better at assessing urological causes of abdominal pain. All right, let's say for our case, an ultrasound was done in the ED already. The report identifies signs of appendicitis and also identifies an append appendicolith. What do you think for a, what do you think the plan for our patient is, Lauren? Okay. The first thing that I want to clarify to our listeners is that the management of appendicitis depends on whether the appendix is perforated or not. This is something that you can tell clinically. Our patient does not appear to be perforated in this case. Okay, so now for the management. For non-perforated appendicitis, our options for treatment include non-operative with antibiotics or operative with appendectomy. Let me explain. Antibiotics are shown to bring down white count and bring down peritonitis. That being said, Append appendicitis is highly likely to recur. 
Antibiotic therapy can be considered if the patient is really not a surgical candidate, refuses, refuses surgery, surgery, and does not have contraindications for non-operative management. All right, and the primary contraindication for antibiotic therapy alone in appendicitis is the presence of an appendicolis. Appendicolis are tiny stones in the appendix, usually made up of tiny lumps of stools. As my staff explained to me, no amount of antibiotics will do away with these small obstructors. Therefore, no matter how mild the presentation or how early stages the inflammation, when there is an appendicolis present, surgery is the plan. Okay, cool. So for non-perforated appendicitis, it is best to perform the surgery as soon as possible um, available at the center. But here's the difference between perforated and unperforated. For perforated appendicitis, immediate surgery has been associated with increased morbidity due to dense adhesions and inflammation. Therefore, when the patient appears to be perforated appendicitis, we actually typically delay surgery and first treat with antibiotics, intravenous fluids, and bowel rest. In addition, if there is an abscess that is drainable, we can first put a drain before surgery. Okay, sweet. So Lauren, how are you feeling about appendicitis? Should we do a quick recap? Oh yeah, let's do it. All right, so today we went over a case of appendicitis. We talked about typical presentation, risk factors, and what to expect. We briefly went over the relevant physical exams and focused a bit more on the special tests for appendicitis, including Rosvink sign, obturator, and SOAS sign. For Rosvink sign, as a reminder, you will palpate the left lower quadrant. For the obturator sign, you will flex the patient's right leg and internally rotate their right thigh. For psoas, you will ask the patient to lie on their left side in the left lateral decubitus position and then extend the right hip. Remember, for each of these tests, we are con considering it positive if there is right lower quadrant pain while performing the maneuver de described. Amazing. You have such a great memory, Brendan. It's almost like you're reading from a script. <laughs> Okay. We also <laughs> consolidated that ultrasound is indeed the first line diagnosis for in diagnosing appendicitis and sometimes CT is warranted for a better picture. Brendan, do you remember what the treatment options are for appendicitis? Hmm, let me think. Or wait, maybe I could just look at the script. <laughs> <laughs> for mild appendicitis, where the appendix is mildly inflamed and the patient is mildly symptomatic and there is no appendicolis, we consider antibiotics but appendicitis is likely to recur. Typically, we recommend surgery. If there's an abscess, we would also recommend a percutaneous drain over a surgery or do conservative management until the acute inflammation resolves. Exactly. You are on point as usual. Okay, listeners, this about wraps up our case. Thanks for engaging in this. Um, we almost went through the whole episode without making a mistake. And here it is. All right, let's redo this line. All right, Brendan, you are right on point. You are always on top of your stuff. That wraps up our case about appendicitis. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you soon. See you guys next time. Bye.